0: Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did.
1: Welcome to Generations Church Podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, exploring the themes and modern day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Hello everybody, my name is Scotty Hines. I'm one of the pastors here at Generations Church. Alongside of me is my friend, Pastor Jeff Ludditon also at Generations Church, how are you, friend? I'm good. I'm good. A little tired this
0: morning. A little tired. No, this is round two. We had to stop, catch back up. Here we go. It's early,
1: uh, no but we are
0: we are doing some fun things, man. We absolutely
1: right? are. You are having a good time, man? And today's topic is pretty intense. I like it. It is. I don't like I don't like going through it, but I sure. like the topic.
0: <laughs> so well, with that in mind, let me let me preface this. So if you are just jumping on today, uh, for whatever reason, you stumbled across our podcast, and here you are. We're in the middle of a series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. Now, that's the nickname, Guilt, Grace, and, grat- guilt, grace, and Gratitude. Told you it's early. Hey, we need more coffee, sorry, right? Man, you can do it. I can do it. I believe in it. Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, those are the nicknames for the three sections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, if that is all unfamiliar territory, a catechism is a way of training someone by memorizing questions and answers, almost like a multiplication table. What is 9 times 9? Will you memorize 81. You figure out what's true, you memorize it, and then that way when you need it, you've got it. It's always there when you need an answer. You know, what do we, you know, who is Jesus? Why is he called the only son of God? Well, this one is going to talk about suffering. And so we're in the middle of all this, right? This is, this is walking in on week 15, if you will. And uh, so we ask questions. There's memorized answers. I'm going to ask these questions. Pastor Scott's going to answer them as if you know like a father to a son or a disciple to a disciple and we're going to walk through these topics today these there's three questions and answers we're going to pick a we're going to pick do one of them at a time and so uh because you said that it's a heavy topic yeah so here we go question 37 is this what do you understand by the word suffered that during his
1: whole life on earth and especially at the end Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Oh, that's a beautiful promise, beautiful reward that we get from Christ's
0: obedience and suffering. So uh, it seems random if you just jumped in today to ask the question, what do you understand by the word "suffered"? Okay, well, it might be a might be a one-off topic, a random conversation. We've done those, right? Yeah. But really, what's going on here is the Heidelberg Catechism is working away, working its way systematically through things that are uh, kind of doctrines that are necessary for all Christians. We're in the middle of it breaking down the Apostles' Creed, right? And so the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus suffered. And so really, this question is aimed at that part. Yeah. What do you understand by the word suffered when you say Jesus suffered? And then, you know, as you gave that answer, it's a, it's a mouthful, right? It's Absolutely. A, and when I say that, I don't mean it in a bad way, but it, there's a lot of content there. There's yeah. a lot of meat there. And it seems people tend to, when they hear the word
1: suffer, they immediately can have a feeling that God's mad at them.
0: Mm You're like, oh, I'm suffering,
1: but really, you know, Christ suffered, and there's there's always there's a reason behind God allowing us to suffer, even sometimes causing the suffer. I had a couple of great quotes, and really quick, it's uh, it's a a gentleman named John Patrick, and he says, "Pain or suffering makes one think. Thought makes one wise, and wisdom makes life endurable." But I like the lens changing on suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you know what you're going to get out of it, it makes it more endurable. Okay. You know what I mean? And then at the back end, because... Well, at the back end is where the reward is, because honestly, man, when have we ever been through suffering? We could say the right things. Lord, I know you're working all things out for the good, Right. but man, it's a
0: bummer when we're suffering. Sure. It is painful, but it's a necessity. So suffering is a topic... You and I were talking about this before we went live. Uh, We had a pastor out, a good friend of ours, Mike Brown, he came and spoke, and he says, you know, Christians are not really good at suffering. Uh, or dealing with suffering right? real well in the church. We don't we're not comfortable in that area. You know, the psalms are filled with psalms of lament. You know, there's a book called Lamentations that's <laughs> about so you know, so there's there's a sense of this that we're not good at it. Um, so taking what you said, that's a, a quote about our suffering, it makes us think, right? It gives True. us this, it gives us that, right? But we have to look through the lens of Jesus suffering. So in the Apostles' Creed, It says, Jesus suffered. Now, this question says, okay, well, what does that mean, right? And so really, again, the question, the person asking the question, what do you understand by the word suffered, right? And then you're repeating back what you have memorized or what you know to be true. This part's really important, right? That during Jesus' life on earth, right? And especially at the end, it says, like especially at the end. That's important, though. Jesus suffered before that right jesus was human mm-hmm. right even though he didn't sin doesn't mean he didn't suffer early and not all his suffering came on the cross but he it says that he sustained in his body and soul the wrath of god against sin against the sin of the whole human race right so jesus goes to the cross he he is scourged he is crucified we'll get to the cross in just a minute but he does that right he suffers for a purpose and you did say something about like when we suffer That when we know the end, or when we know an outcome, it it allows us to endure in a different way. Absolutely, is that fair? Yeah, right. So Jesus, knowing the end, suffered in our place, and and so he knew in the end that would reconcile us to God. Yeah, it says that in Hebrews, correct? It It it, does. The joy set before him, and that is us. They scorned the shame, endured the cross, right? Right. But the joy that was set before him, which was us, our redemption. We are the joy, and so. Really the question becomes okay then why did why again did Jesus have to suffer right and and what is important here is what we're unpacking is that Jesus endured all that we deserve right that Jesus endured the death we deserve and he didn't that Jesus endured the punishment that we en- that we deserve because of our sin that he didn't right why must we
1: understand God as a wrathful God, then?
0: Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Right? Like, when we think of God, and so we're talking about in this, I mean, remember, we're talking about modern-day cultural connections to the Heidelberg Catechism. How does something written 450 years ago relate today, right? Well, when we look at God and we make a statement about the wrath of God or God being wrathful, um, that's not something that you hear a lot today. Not at all. Right? The modern day God of the Bible, if you will, the modern day God of the Christian church typically is a very loving God, right? Oh, God is love. You yeah. hear people say, Well, God is love. You know, how could God send people to hell? God is love, right? Yeah. yeah. Or when people want to do things that scripture teaches is wrong, or that they hear a church say or a pastor say or a Christian say is wrong, well they're like, Well, just, you know, God is love and they summarize God as being love. Yeah. Now it's not false. God is love. Well, he, yeah. But that's not only yeah, what God is—it's part of His character trait. Absolutely. It's a character trait
1: of Him. It is, and in He fact, embodies the true. Um, he embodies the true essence of love. Absolutely,
0: but um, He's not just love. And he's the beginning yes. and end of all love, for sure. But the number one attribute about God in Scripture is not love; it's holiness, mm-hmm. right? That God is completely other. Now, God is not just perfect, but He is completely other. He is about something entirely other. Yeah. Right, and that he is about holiness; that he is about his kingdom. Mm. And so, when we talk about this, there is also the other side of that: that sin deserves punishment. Yes, none of us disagree that if someone goes out and murders someone, or rapes someone, or you know, molests a child, that they don't deserve punishment. And so, if we understand what sin is, and if we understand there is a need for punishment, then the wrath of someone being poured out on someone is just like what we would say when someone you know, molest a child, well, then the wrath of the court should be poured out on them, Absolutely. if you will. Or the wrath of the father of that <laughs> child wants to be poured out on them, yeah, right? So, ideally. so God's wrath is just, right? Absolutely. God's, God's wrath is deserved. Now, we have to tie these pieces together. Jesus suffered God's wrath, right? And so I, I don't know that all of us modern-day Christians, that we really embrace this side of it. We know that Jesus died for us, and we know that um, that apart from him, that we are not reconciled to God and, and going to heaven or redeemed or whatever. Uh, we we know those things, but we're not strong at understanding the true penalty for sin. Jesus had to suffer under God's wrath to fully take on the penalty for our sin. Yeah.
1: I, I wrote in a paper once uh, that his death ex, 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 ah, it extinguishes the eternal... Mm. Um, pendulum of God's judgment.
0: Mm. and It extinguishes it, it. It just puts it out. It slows yeah. it. It stops it. And that is, that is kind of the point, right? Yeah. That Jesus suffers God's wrath. Those are strong words. So that we don't have to suffer yeah. God's wrath, right? Yeah. So the question goes on. Now, remember, this is written in the context. If you're listening, this is written in the context of pulling apart the Apostles' Creed. You can go back and listen to that. But the next question is question 38 says, why did he, meaning Jesus, suffer under Pontius Pilate, which is in quotes, under Pontius Pilate, as judge? So that he,
1: though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge, and so set us free
0: from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. So if you know the Apostles' Creed, you know that the line says that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Yes. So now we're asking two questions. What does it mean he suffered, and why under Pontius Pilate, mm. right? And I think there's a couple reasons. I think One, I think Pontius Pilate is a historical marker, right? Absolutely. Jesus was a common name back then, like Jeff or Scott. Those are common names. We all know other Jeffs. We all know they're Scots, right? Yeah. So there's a historical marker about who this Jesus is, this Jesus of Galilee, that if you know nothing else, you can find him in history at the same time as Pontius Pilate. Yeah. So I think there's a, a marker there identifying who that is, but also there's a human reality in need, right, that... That though innocent he must be condemned by an earthly judge yeah right so condemned like we are condemned right wrath that we deserve from god poured out on him right yet he is innocent and it's his innocence that this answer gives us that sets us free what do you hear when you hear that well
1: kind of something a little different i I wanted to share it when we see him when we see him judged under an earthly court, right, under man, mm-hmm. it's kind of like baptism. It gives us a, a visual of something that's taking place spiritual. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, we actually have... Uh, we understand a court process. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we can we can modernize court... Pro- Obviously, his court process is extremely different. I mean, sure. every time I walked down a, a hall to see a judge, I didn't have people plucking my beard out and punching me. There's a big difference. <laughs> we could make that happen, you know, but yeah, I hear but you. That was usually the initiation into sure. a neighborhood, but... Um, <laughs> When I when I look at this for me as a man who enjoys visuals and and um, I see it gives me some tangible a visual observation of what he took what happened spiritually to him for me you know I, I I don't not one who always makes things personal but it, it was for us
0: it was good you talked about like baptism and so if you're unfamiliar with that uh, we use the language of in baptism that it's a sign and a seal that it is a means of grace we had a lot of language around that. But it's a visible sign of something God is doing invisibly. Yes. Right? And so you're talking about that. That's really powerful. I like that, that there is a visible understanding of what God is doing. There's a human judge declaring him condemned. Well, a sovereign divine judge is going to pour out wrath on an innocent man. Right? Right? On on Jesus. And think about it, brother. Like... When he goes there, and I have this visual, right? And
1: when you do, especially we're in the book of Isaiah right now, and and we're almost at that spot, or we we've gone through, where he gets his beard plucked out. Yeah. I mean, the imagery is intense, and and so I have this visual, and so it helps me like reel in when I'm gossiping, because mm. that's all part of it, right? That's part of why he's there because of these sins that I commit, and so that visual man should really humble me, you that's know, when good, I sit man. with it. Why is it there? And then how do I you know, how do I see myself as that one psalm? Uh, that song said, I hear my voice call out among the scoffers. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah, just putting myself and being
0: humbled by what he's done for us. So that's good, man. That's not the theological meaning, or that's not the, the kind of the heady answer. That's the how do I take that truth of the theological answer, the heady answer? How do I take that and how do I run it through my own life? So yeah. I like that. That's really Thanks. good. You place yourself in the setting, you see, you see yourself or hear yourself call out among the scoffers. Mm. That's really powerful. Final question, man. I want to close with this image. And so question 39 says this. Is there something more than his having been crucified than if he had died in some other death? Died some other death, excuse me. Yes,
1: for by this I'm assured that he took upon himself the curse which laid upon me,
0: because the death of the cross was cursed by God. So this question is... uh, Really, again, if i if I'm repeating myself, I know, but the Apostles' Creed said that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, right? Was crucified and died. We'll get to the died later, but was crucified. And so that crucified means nailed to a functionally a tree, a piece of wood. So people see really clean crosses that look like perfect T's, right? <laughs> that, but a lot of times, man, this was a lot more brutal, yes. a, a, a lot more rough, right? Uh-huh. So why did, was was crucified important? Is the question that's being asked? Would another death have been okay? And and the answer is that the the crucifixion was necessary, and that by this he took upon himself the curse which lay upon me. Yeah. Right. Because the death of the cross was cursed by God. So there's there's language in this question and answer that is specific to death on a cross. Yeah. Now. I want to give you something interesting. There's, uh, I bet there's two passages you've heard and know. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 says this. If a man has committed a crime, punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by cod, meaning not hanged like we think of hanging, Yeah. Nailed to a tree, yep. right? You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, that's this command in Deuteronomy, yes. right? So we all know the summary of that, that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, yes. right? We know that one. We know it mostly because of Galatians 3. This says this, Galatians 3.13 says, "'Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law "'by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Curses is everyone who's hanged on a tree.'" So these things stand almost obscurely, okay? So is God just saying, is God just cursing anybody who hangs on a tree, who's nailed to a tree, is he doing that just about Jesus? Is there another reason? And when I was just kind of pondering that, just thinking about this, um, uh, an idea came to mind. And, okay. and so I looked it up. Did you know that the word tree is used roughly 20 times in Genesis 2 and 3? No, not only did I not know that, I would never think to even look that up. So good observation. <laughs> okay, so here's what I was thinking. So why on a tree, right? So I'm looking through some passages and all of a sudden it clicks. Okay. Okay. How did God create humanity? What was God doing? And so God created trees, right? Yeah. So there's that, right? Fruit came from trees mm. that humanity was given to eat. And then there was this one tree, ah. right, that, that humanity is not supposed to eat from. So there's... And people ask that question like, okay, so why was that there? Well, because humanity was created to obey God. Mm. And in order for us to be obedient, there has to be a way that we're disobedient. Yeah, you have to have a choice. A tree. Yeah. So there's a tree. So there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they're told not to eat from. Yeah. Okay, and so what do they do? So uh, the devil comes in and tempts them. Did God really say this about the tree? Uh. Well, this is what God said about the tree, Eve says, right? And then they eat from the tree. So there's this whole narrative, literally, uh, I think it was roughly 20 times the word tree comes up. And then man and woman fail. They sin. And what does God remove them, from them? The tree of life, right? So there's this narrative around the tree. There's this disobedience about a tree. All these things good that are provided by a tree, and there's this disobedience that comes around a tree. Now, the tree of life is only mentioned in three books of the Bible. Genesis, Revelation, where God restores it, and yeah. then Proverbs, which is interesting. But yeah. there's this idea that the tree is where sin occurred, right? Yeah. And so you fast forward through this store, there's this climactic thing that happens, Where God removes the tree of life, right? Because they sinned with a tree, God curses anyone who dies on a tree in Deuteronomy, which kind of stands oddly if you can't place it in a context. All this stuff takes place. You fast forward to Revelation. At the end of Revelation, when God is restoring all things, God gives them back the tree of life. There's Jesus hanging on a tree now. Makes a little bit more sense. It makes a lot more sense. It's almost, man, I see
1: what you did there. It's like the tree is the bookend. You know, it, uh, it opens up in the the, the book of Genesis and it we, yeah. we get cursed on it. Right. And then you bring yourself all the way to the end and Jesus, you know, redeems us from the curse yeah. on it. And then as he inaugurates his kingdom and consummates it, you know, um, or establishes it, he restores it. Yeah. That is beautiful, man. I love what you did there. That's why I, I didn't mean, do it, man. I just, I, I read it, you <laughs> know, I read it in the Bible, you know, <laughs> well, so man, I, I really like how the Holy Spirit worked in you, man, and put that together and, uh. Man, I like doing these podcasts. But I love talking theology. And I hope you out there who just hear this, you're encouraged, knowing that we are sharing these things so you can memorize them. It says in Psalms one nineteen, you know, your word I've put in my heart that it may not sin against you. And This is truth. You know, everything in here is backed by scripture. And so be encouraged if you're listening to this. These are truths that will definitely help you and grow you in your faith. And I just want to thank you for listening to the Generation Church podcast. Uh, We release a new episode every Tuesday of our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. We also have some special episodes coming up for the next few weeks. So keep an eye out on Thursdays for those special topics we tackle. If you like what we're doing, we please ask that you write a review and let people know and give us a share. Thank you so much.
0: For more information visit our website at ginfamily.church, g e n family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.